Welcome to episode 101 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. What do you do the day after you've accomplished a big goal? Last week, I met a huge goal by publishing my 100th episode. I also got all the way through 30 days the Whole30 Elimination Diet and 10 days of slowly reintroducing different foods. Both of these were big deals in their own way. And I could very easily dive right into working on my next big goal, launching a new podcast called Parent Founders. But when do we get to stop and appreciate our accomplishments? Don't let the goalposts keep moving farther down the field. Each time I meet a goal, even one that is a stepping stone to a much larger goal, I aim to stop and appreciate that accomplishment. Building in clearly defined goals along the way has helped me feel momentum when I'm working on a big project. Then it feels like I'm stacking my successes rather than just chasing after an unachievable goal. Your challenge for this week. Think about a big goal you recently accomplished. Did you stop and acknowledge what you achieved? Reach out to people who've been supporting you and share with them your successes. Then ask them to help you be accountable as you continue to stack your successes. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest was named one of the top 100 speakers for 2018 by Inc. Magazine and was selected by Marshall Goldsmith to be in his 100 Coaches Project. She's an executive coach who helps senior executives and high potential leaders create permanent positive shifts in their leadership impact and the results they achieve. It also works with founders and CEOs to help them lead for scale. She is a member of the Cornell Entrepreneurship Advisory Board and is on the faculty of the Runway Program, an accelerator which helps postdocs commercialize their research and build companies. She's an angel investor in and advisor to a number of startups in the U.S. and developing countries. Please join me in welcoming Alyssa Cohn. Hey, Robbie. Hello, hello. Thank so you so much, here. Alyssa, for joining me from your office in New York. I want to just right jump right in. Okay. This is a podcast about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? You know, it's such a good question. And first of all, thank you for having me. It's great to see you and great to be part of this. And it's such a great question. You know, everyone's got their own take on leadership. And I tend to do this very simply. I think about a leader as somebody who can induce others to follow them. Mm -hmm. And I think about that both from the formal perspective, you know, my CEOs are the CEOs and founders of their companies. So of course, they're going to have a lot of followers, but then also the informal followership that people build around them. And, you know, you're into this, of course, connecting and networking. And so you really see that all the time. I think the first time I personally recognized there was something about me that did, that I did have leadership ability, quote unquote, is fifth grade. I love it. I know in my home room class. We were doing a play. We were doing a play for whatever. I can't remember the play. But what I remember vividly is everybody coming over to me to ask me if they could be this part. Alyssa, can I be that part? Can I be this part? Alyssa, can I do this? And I literally thought, why are you guys asking me? 
like it was this weird experience of somehow drawing people to me as if I knew what I was doing. Wow. Yeah. That's, people saw something in you even before you saw it. That's really, really interesting, particularly at that age where everyone's really unsure of themselves. How did you react to that? The idea that people were like, okay, step up, Alyssa, help us figure this out. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I mean, I took it in stride and I remember thinking, again, I was surprised, like, why is everyone asking me? But I wanted it to go smoothly and I wanted us to be able to get this settled out so that we could kind of go do the play. So I was happy to I was happy to agree that this person could do this and that person could do that. And then it was funny because people wanted the same part. So I was able to adjudicate. Ah. Like, oh, if you do this, would it be okay if this person does this and if you could do something different? And I definitely spun it like this is a great opportunity for you to do this kind of thing, right? And then this person's good. And then if you give up this, you'll get this. So the tools of influence were there from the beginning. That's amazing. And clearly <laughs> you were demonstrating something before that moment for them to think this is the person we're going to put this responsibility in your hands. And did the teacher just stand aside and watch this all unfold? I have no memory what the teacher did. <laughs> the teacher's probably on a coffee break. Who knows? Where right, the right. They're like, Alyssa's in charge. We're good. We're good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, it's funny you say that because um, I, I'm not sure how much you know Myers-Briggs, but my Myers-Briggs type is ENTJ. And our, what, you are too? Me too. Oh my it's God, very, very rare. It's that, very rare, yeah. That is a, exactly, it's a very rare, rarefied type. Yeah. But our motto, as you may know, or one of our mottos is, I'm in charge, all is well. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so the teacher must have sensed, Alyssa's in charge, all is well. That's great. Yeah, yeah. ENTJ is so interesting because it's, uh, it's like one or 2% for women and like, Two or three percent for men, or something. That's like right. That. That's right. It's a, yes, you're absolutely really, right. really low. And yet, I yeah. actually was at a conference the other day, and we that conversation came up, and there was four of us standing there together. Yeah. <laughs> and we were all volunteering at the million at Alan Weiss's Million Dollar Consultant oh, um, conference. So it's yeah. like not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the thing that was really surprising is how we all took turns stepping up and stepping back. <laughs> right. Right. Stepping back. That's surprising. Yeah, but we were comfortable with the fact that other people, okay, you're also an ETA. I, I trust you. Right, 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 right. That's so hilarious. Did that carry on to when you, uh, you know, got into high school and into college and beyond? Like, did you start to then think of yourself as a leader and seek out opportunities, or did people continue to just like bestow them upon you in some way? Well, again, it's a good question because I was just reflecting that when I was in, I want to say, ninth grade, ninth grade, um, one of, I was in this uh, youth group and some, one of like the counselors from the youth group came up to me and my parents and said, we want her to do this leadership training seminar in Israel, the six week called Hadracha in, in Hebrew, that means leadership. And um, they wanted me to do this six week leadership training seminar in Israel. And I was like flabbergasted. My parents were of course fit to be tied and it took a lot to let them get, to let me, let me go by myself to Israel with this group in ninth grade. Um, I'd never left Holliston Mass before in my life, right until that wow. day. So, but I was just very surprised because I definitely saw myself as kind of like a quiet, actually in, internally, very shy, awkward, sort of uncomfortable person. So I was surprised they saw that in me. And I think it took me, actually, this youth group was very helpful in helping bring out the leadership in me. Mm -hmm. Because after that program, I came back and we, we were, um, this youth group was, was peer-led. So they would always say, we're peer-led, we're peer-led. Of course, I had no idea what that meant. Like, what does that really mean? But what it turned out to mean was, I mean, all I knew is what they told us to do, which is 
run this program and lead this discussion group and organize this kind of, you know, event or whatever. So I just did what I was told, like, okay, I'm organizing this event or I'm running this discussion. So I've been facilitating discussions since I was 14 years old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I got my 10,000 hours in right kind of that way. And I guess I would say that because of the group dynamics and also because it was focused on leadership and also because ultimately I ran for office within this group. Mm. I got a lot of experience being looked up to as a leader. And I do remember vividly my, you know, final, um, you know, when I'm at my lab, my senior year in high school, when I ran for something and I gave this speech and I heard two people, one side or the other, she could run for president with that speech. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like these moments in your life that we, we all are able to look at these moments, hopefully as neon and as sort of directing us to where we wanted to, we get to go. And so I think that became part of my fabric. What I also want to sort of call out is the idea how, how a small thing um, can help. Like, I'm trying to imagine like today, look around the people that we know, yeah. especially young people we know. Definitely. And how do we sort of call out something special about them that like gives them the confidence to believe that they can do this it's when so they true. can't yet internalize it. It's like so the true. fact that you thought of yourself as a shy, awkward, you know, sort of not seen sort of young person. And yet they're like, Hey, you should go on this six week thing to Israel and right. be trained as a leader and run programs. Right. Um, that's really amazing. And I can see how given the opportunity you blossomed into that. Right. Yeah. So as you kind of move through the world, and now you're you're on. Uh, I, before we got started, I was like, "Wow, the accolades have just been piling up for you." <laughs> so kudos! <laughs> Thank um, you. But you've been recognized a number of times recently for your leadership, for your for your, for your really, I would probably say more than anything for your ability to network and be seen. Like mm-hmm. um, so many of these things are very well uh, bestowed upon people that people know. Yeah, good right. Point. Like, like mm-hmm. it, you're deserving of it, but you also have to be known. So there's something you're doing uh, in order to do that. I want to touch on that a little bit later. But right now, I want to understand a little bit more about what it is you actually do in the world. The way I want to ask it is, what do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today? Oh, Oh, there's so much rewarding. With I, I'm so lucky. When I was 14 years old, I remember vividly having a conversation with my friend Kim Berman next to me, and we were talking about what would you do if you could do anything and didn't have to worry about money professionally. And I said, I would love to have intense conversations all day long. <laughs> so now I'm a coach, right? And so I have intense conversations, meaningful conversations, conversations that make a difference to people all day long. And so that's my joy to be able to really engage with people well, well beyond small talk, to build relationships with people so that I really know them in a way that other people just don't know them. And we know each other through a specific relationship, the coaching relationship. And then ultimately, of course, making a difference for people. People call me five years, 10 years later. I get calls and emails still. I remember what you told me, or this made a difference, or I wonder if you remember me. I'm doing this now. We talked about this on this date. And, you know, it's awesome to be able to have that as a, as a sort of the running meter of my life. That's, that is great. And it's, so, um, it's such a gift when people do reach out to share that years later, the impact that you've had. And I, and I don't think people do this often enough. It's like they... They they know that impact has been felt, but they don't want to like go out of their way to let the person know. Right, 
Right. Yeah. Everyone's busy and people are mostly shy. Yeah. And definitely busy. And also a lot of people are not proactive. And yeah. if I could say one thing, I think we all have to be sort of the mistresses and masters of our own life. Mm-hmm. And so being proactive, I think, is its own reward in many aspects. But certainly as the years go by, I think you just recognize more and more how important it is to tell people how meaningful they were to you, to a teacher, family members, friends, coaches that have helped you, bosses. You know, the notion, mm-hmm. I will often ask people if I'm doing like, especially a new manager training something at a startup, you know, we'll talk about who was the best manager you've ever had. And, you know, people will share and they'll have these beautiful conversations. So then I'm saying, well, we now all know that, but I wonder if that person knows that. Right, right. Have you had that moment with someone in your life? That was my best, my best boss? Yeah, or somebody who's really had a major impact like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, my, um, my fourth grade teacher was very impactful to me, Miss Larravee. And um, I never got the chance to go back to her and tell her that, although I, I think she knew. She took special interest in some of the kids. And mm-hmm. I was lucky that, again, I was sort of a shy kid. And so she took an interest in me and was so helpful to me. Um, and then also, you know, our friend Dory Clark mm. has been a huge influence to me and has made such a difference for me just in terms of her being such a great role model for the way she lives her life and the way she runs her business. And then also how generous she's been with me. Um, and she's really shown me in many ways how to be generous with other people, you know, sort of really above yeah. and beyond. What I think is remarkable about Dory is that I think everybody who knows her would consider her generous to them. Yes, exactly. Which exactly. sounds like a time management problem. I know. I know. <laughs> but like she pulls it off, which is, which is part of what she's a mentor uh, and like the role model in that way is like showing people that it's possible. In right. little, like it doesn't have to always be the biggest thing, but even the attention, um, the thoughtfulness. Yeah, yes. very high. She has enormous EQ as well as a very high IQ. Totally, totally true. And there's one more person that comes to mind, though, I must really talk about, like my, sort of my first real coach. She was a psychologist, but she was really coachy with me. By that, I mean, she was super bossy, especially for a psychologist. And, um, you know, I got, I was in the, I was an executive in the dot-com world, and I was a CFO of a dot-com, and then I was a GM of the, of the, GM um, of the Boston office. And that all imploded. And I had been talking for years about starting my own business and becoming a coach. And after that all imploded, I got offered another job. Of course I did. And she said to me, that's the job you keep being offered. You will get that job again. You said you wanted to start your own business. The time is now. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. The time is now. I know. Very coachy. Yeah, very coachy. And because she... I don't want to say dared me into it, but she really, she highlighted, that's interesting. The time is now, like, as opposed to that someday that you're thinking about, right? The time is now was very impactful to me. And um, I I don't think I would have had the guts to do it, but she was the one who believed in me. That's great. I love that we're calling into this conversation, these powerful influences. Yeah. Because we we don't often have the time to talk about that. And right. Doesn't always come up on this show. Um, so you you do way much, way more than just sort of your your coaching day job. Um, share a little bit about how you sort of got more involved in these sort of extracurricular projects. You're you're on the Cornell Entrepreneurship Advisory Board. Um, that's one. And then you also are doing some of the runway program. Like yeah. how did how did you sort of decide this is the direction? Um, I'm a coach, but I want to really 
be working with these, these inspiring entrepreneurs? Right. Well, I am a coach and increasingly, you know, I was in two startups and then I became a coach and I worked with large established companies like Dell, like Microsoft, like IBM. And then I moved to New York and we were, we were building a startup ecosystem here. And I just really got hooked in. I was actually traveling a lot to the Bay Area and working with startups in the Bay Area. And slowly we were really building our own sort of infrastructure here in New York. And I just got really connected to startups and then I liked them more and then I got more connected and then I got referrals from other startups. And so I realized that was my niche and my area of expertise that I really wanted to focus on. So then how do you do that? Well, I've never been the kind of person that wants to network with other coaches. I, I know a lot of coaches, right? And also I'm a coach. I want to network with the people who are going to help shape my thinking in the fields I want to be in. So mm. I got involved with, a, with the startups. I got involved with Cornell. I'm a Cornell alum. And I wanted to be involved with the things that we were doing at Cornell here in New York, including our beautiful campus here, you know, Cornell NYC Tech, which is very exciting that we won the opportunity to build that campus here in New York. You know, now I'm like a real jingoist New Yorker, like a real patriotic <laughs> New Yorker. Um, you know, I just sort of, you step, step into opportunities and then opportunities continue to come your way. The, actually, but Robbie, I was almost always tell you that I've gotten involved in the past year in the blockchain. Oh, and interesting. I'm really involved. I was just, um, when I was at TED in um, April, I was asked to lead a dinner, a panel discussion ah. on blockchain, and specifically the future of the blockchain for the social good. And that was amazing. I'm here in New York. I'm um, hosting a number of blockchain dinners um, for the folks in the community around here. And I'm just getting more and more interested. It's not, I sort of call it a professional hobby. Uh -huh. like, people will say, so you're doing the blockchain now? I'm like, no, I'm a coach. That's what I'm doing. But I sort yeah, of am yeah. beginning to build a bit of, um, I'm just really interested. And yeah. I'm trying to spend more time following my curiosity and following my passion. And for whatever reason, I've been you know, just like, drawn into this blockchain community as well. Well, I, I want to tease out a couple of things you're doing that's, that other people can apply to their own passions. I mean, the fact that you, um, one, you're following your interests, you know, like you have curiosity about a topic or a community and you're learning about it by meeting people. Yeah. Um, you're do hosting dinners. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a fantastic way to do that. You're going to events. You went to TED, which is a big expense and a lot of money and a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and but you got you got involved in a leadership way, so you didn't just show up and sort of wander around the halls aimlessly, right? You know? Right. Like, which I think people kind of do, you know. Yeah. And so you knew you by doing that, people are going to meet you in a in a in a professional sort of role, and you're yeah. able to add value for yourself as well as others. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is the idea of uh, getting referrals more easily within the, this sort of incubator entrepreneur space because right. people start to know you. So by niching. Like you, you can coach a lot of different kinds of business leaders and you right. have, but by, by starting to see the, the path that way, people then know you as the person who does that and it's more easy, it's easier for them to refer you. Right. Um, that's absolutely and, true. And then that kind of, and once it takes off, like it really just snowballs on its own. Definitely. Um, and you could always kind of populate to a new community, which is what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is like really cool to see sort of that you, even though you have a certain skill set. Um, that you can apply in so many ways. And that probably is helping you like hold back any feelings of like tediousness or burnout. Like you're, you feel like talking to you, you just sound very excited and alive and passionate about the work you're doing. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah. I, I used to say, you know, I, and I still say this, I can follow any interest I have and call it work. Mm -hmm. I'm lucky that way. I sort of set up 
I've set up my work life like that for sure. So what do you find challenging then? I mean, like to, to achieve a, a high level of success, there's like the fear of failing, the fear of making mistakes. Like what's the thing you're not very good at? And then how did you overcome that part? Oy. I mean, you know, it's not a question of not being very good at it. It's a question of, you know, we talked about this sort of before, when we, before we were recording. It's, the accolades are great. And I look, I'm so gratified that I am getting this sort of recognition for the work that I'm doing. But it does, you know, they don't talk about kind of the setbacks. Like I'm having a difficult situation with a client. I'm actually not quite sure what to do. I'm trying to figure out who I should talk to to sort of talk it through with. That takes some time. Um, you know, I, I think a lot about my, my business in terms of like, should I do this or should I do that? I'm not mm. sure if that's a good idea. Is that a good idea? Is that a bad idea? You know, there can definitely be that same paralysis or analysis paralysis in my head. Um, I'm constantly feeling like I, I, I've done a lot of writing this year. You know, I write for Inc. I write for Worth and I write for Forbes. That's fantastic. I also yeah. My stuff gets promulgated on OpenView, one of the VCs, their newsletter, and also um, Alley Watch here in New York, startups, a startup for uh, startup newsletter for, um, sorry, a New York City startup newsletter. And that's great, but it never ends. It <laughs> never ends, right? So I'm always in the back of my mind thinking like, oh, what should I be writing now? Or should I be doing this? Or should I be doing that? So it's it never kind of turns off. And that's very challenging for me. There's no question. Mm -hmm. So I think just to be honest, it's, I mean, I think I'm really good at the things that I do. But I think like everybody, it's hard to always make the right decisions in the right moment. It's really awesome that you're willing to share that because people who have achieved these levels of success. I mean, it, if, if I looked at any other coach on Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches Project list, you know, we, we look at them and we're like, oh my God, like they've made it. That's amazing. Yeah. But it's nice to know people are human and that the process of making decisions, which is like, there are so many nano decisions that get made, not just big ones. Yeah. These little moments, like even how you use your time. Is yeah. this worth it? Is that worth it? It's nice to know that that, like is something that we all evolve and all constantly all like working on. There's no, in some ways you don't reach a level where it doesn't exist because then you're not working. Like, right. <laughs> right. And then the, right. You're not pushing yourself. It's, not, it's yeah. true. And things happen. You know, I, I will also just mention cause you mentioned Ted and Ted was a big deal for this year for me, a huge, one of the things that was like major for me this year. Well, guess what? I looked at Ted last year. Right. So I, you know, I was thinking about applying and Dory was saying, oh, you should, you should go to Ted. I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. And I should. And by the time I got online to apply, they had already closed applications. So I missed it for last year. So I'm like, oh, you're kidding. So I had to wait, you know, 10 more wow. months to be able to apply. And then by the way, once you start applying for Ted, by the way, it's like six essays. Hi, no one told me that. Right? So, <laughs> you know, it's really quite challenging. And then it's, it was a whole a bit of a story how like I had to get someone else to write something for me. And it's all like a bit of a story. So just to say that it didn't just happen. Right. It just happened. And you have to really decide. This is so important for all of us. You have to have to decide you're going to have persistence and you're going to keep going and you're not going to let setbacks and rejections, which are normal and natural part of the creative process, normal and natural part of any success is setbacks and rejections. Accept that, receive that, and then mm. you have to be able to be persistent through that. 
It's true. A story that has no challenges is a very boring story. It's true. <laughs> you can say that, but in the middle of your challenges, you feel like, give me yeah. some help, right? <laughs> give me a little, little boredom right now. So since it's hard um, to really know, like, the, I don't know, I guess how to say is like, your, your work doesn't seem like the kind of work that you like clock into and cluck out of. Right, that's you know? true. <laughs> and, and that you kind of bring it wherever you go. Um, do you also work from home? Do you? Yeah, I work from home. So as do I. And so that, that yeah, sort of integration, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that integration of life. So how do you sort of know when you're not at work? Is there, is there something you're doing, a practice or a habit you have that gives you like some actual time off from that? Or do you just find a way to sort of integrate it in a way that just feels comfortable? Do you feel like you're achieving the right, I don't know, balance is definitely not the right word. So it is sort of more of an integration, but like, like how do you approach sort of that? Like, you know, we all need time for our brains to rest, but how do you achieve that with so much going on? Oh my goodness. The answer is neither and also (laughs) both. (laughs) (laughs) I am, I am definitely work hard, play hard. And so I, I think the only, I mean, and sometimes I would say I'm work hard, work hard and, and also play hard. So I just would say that I always feel this thing in the back of my head. There's plenty, there's always plenty I could do. And I when before I ran my own business, which has now been a long time, but before I ran my own business, I didn't know what people meant when they said there's always something to do. And now I totally know what they mean. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I have an assistant who takes care of a number of the mundane chores for me, which really helps a lot. And then I find that planning activities and making a conscious effort to see my close friends and to have activities on the calendar helps me be done with work. Mm -hmm. And so at some point over the past few years, I've gotten much better at being like, you know what, I'm just done. And um, I I try to stick with that more. I'm, I'm working actually to build more practices that will help me I don't know, like be a little decompress a little bit more. Mm-hmm. That would be helpful for me. I'm I'm good, not great on that. Like a meditation practice and just even a staring. I, I call it my staring to space practice. Which <laughs> actually, yeah. is really helpful for me. I've read a lot yeah. more. I, I have a book club, and and I love my girls in book clubs. So like, I will never miss book clubs. So between, I always have to read the book. Yes, um, reading is very helpful for me. I really enjoy that. And at the end of the day, I like the be able to like, I'm going to do a little bit of work now and I'm going to go do my thing a little bit of work. And the flexibility of that also suits my style. That's great. Do you have a particular morning practice or something like that that you're working on? Yes. I have a morning practice that very much helps me. So I wake up super early. I have my coffee already made, you know, the automatic thing. And then I take my coffee and I have my inspirational readings, which I have gathered over the past couple of years. I've written my own vision statement. I've written my personal vision statement. I've written my own prayer and I Mm -hmm. read those and the inspirational reading that I have. And then I do some deep breathing and I find that very restorative. When did you start doing this? About a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, maybe. Yeah. Was there an impetus that started you deciding? Yes. I read a book. It must be on my Kindle because I don't have it up here. Um, Of course, with me, everything is like about being mentally tough, right? So it sounds like a nourishing practice, but it came from this book called 10-Minute Toughness. Ah. And the 10-Minute Toughness, the, the mandate was to write your personal vision statement. Uh-huh. And it did it in a certain kind of way. And 10-Minute Toughness has to do also with sports figures. So he coaches mm. sports figures to have mental toughness. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of took what they wrote and I, what they wrote for, because I gave a lot of examples, and I just kind of ran with it myself. Wow. Yeah, and it was really great to write that. And then I heard um, 
on the Tim Ferriss show, I heard Krista Tippett that she wrote her own prayer. Huh. I know. And yeah. then Tim, Tim got her to share not all of it, but a little bit of it. And I just thought, well, I could write my own prayer. Okay, uh-huh. so I could just do that. So I was really inspired. So I wrote those pieces and they sort of came together. And then I would, I, especially like, um, like from the Spartans, um, mm. quotes from, from the um, Stoics, sorry, the Stoics. And so I read those kinds of quotes and I've collected things. And I just find it very comforting, the routine yeah. of comforting. I find it very nourishing, the content. And then I, I write my gratitude journal. So have you heard of or read uh, Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod? No, what's that? So Hal Elrod self-published a book a number of years ago called The Miracle Morning. I wonder if I And then there's like nine spin-offs. So there's The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, The Miracle Morning for um, Networking something. Uh, yeah. There's The like Miracle Morning for Writers, the one that I finally picked up and read. Oh, neat. And I think you'll appreciate the structure of it because um, it's, it's uh, it basically uh, there's – these S-A-V-E-R-S is the like acronym for the things you do each morning. So it's sort of a mix of, you know, um, sitting, you know, meditation, reading, um, the uh, writing affirmation, reading your affirmations, you know, writing something, you know, so it's just very similar, a little, a little movements. Yeah. And he transformed his life through it. And as it's interesting to me that it's self-published because it's really become, a phenomenon. Oh, amazing. So I think given what you have already accomplished (laughs) with your own, like piecing things together, you'll probably enjoy tapping into his community. Um, very giving people. So, Oh, that's great. I'm going to look that up. And speaking of movement, I should also, I never think of my morning routine because I meet my strength coach four days a week at around 6 30 AM. So like for me, that's already, you know, midday, right? (laughs) I mean, not really. I wake up like at five usually. I love being up in the morning. I love getting a little bit of work done in the morning. And then I meet him um, four days a week or I go off to spin class or I run. And he, my strength coach has taught me so much about being a coach. Mm. Actually, it's been really extraordinary. And so, but also getting strong is great, but just having movement in the morning and getting your, um, you know, getting your fitness in and having, uh, for me, it's very spiritual, like movement is very spiritual. And so just kind of having that communion with him and with myself is beautiful. That's awesome. I, I love hearing that the people who seem to be really successful, almost all of them, do you have some structure, routine, yes. some habits that they sort of just build in? And I think part of it is that you don't think about it. Like yeah. once it becomes that habit, exactly. you get up and you put the shoes on and you go do the thing. Right. Um, or you go sit at your table and you journal or you, whatever it is, you just sit and do it. You already have it planned out for the day. Yeah. Where the, those of us that are still struggling to adapt an idea are like, <laughs> Am I going to do it this morning? I don't know. Totally. Right? Like, it's the kiss of death. Oh, should yeah, I? Maybe should I, I should. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. are those shorts anyway? I don't know. Yeah, totally. You got to be prepared. I can't go to the gym. I can't find my favorite shorts. Oh, exactly. Well, you know? yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. That's normal. Don't, yeah. do don't let that be you. <laughs> don't let that be you. Not for too long, at least. Right, exactly. So this is a show about networking. So I do want to kind of get to that part. Um, <laughs> you have just met so many phenomenal people i imagine like yeah. i don't you and i so got introduced by dora clark who yeah. is uh Amazing. mentioned on this show enough that she's practically a sponsor i mean like <laughs> i talk i mean she comes up like every other episode or something yeah, so course. um yeah so and i i truly appreciate her but you met her like over a decade ago yeah. uh, as did i and so there's 
there's a way in which it, just from knowing her, there's a zillion people you end up meeting. That's true. But then also through your work, you've met a zillion different people and these are yes. all amazing people. So what are you doing to nurture those sort of like not immediate relationships, not your close connections, but sort of that next sort of layers out? Do you have any kind of habits or practices to sustain those connections, even when you're not working with someone directly, but you just sort of think that's a person I, I'd like to have you know, in my orbit? Like, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? Well, first of all, the way to meet them is to go do things you don't always do. So to be constantly, like, for example, I went to TED this year. Well, I always go to Renaissance Weekend. So Renaissance Weekend, another Ideas Fest, has a lot of different kinds of people, but all the different people come every time. But I also know a lot of people from Renaissance Weekend. So that's great. Now you've got to expand outside of Renaissance Weekend. So I went to Summit earlier in the, or late last year. I went to TED. So to put yourself in the way of different kinds of networks and opening up, and then I would not, I would say it's far from a habit. It's not a habit but it's a mindset. So mm-hmm. my mindset is, wait, who should I be staying in touch with? Wait, don't forget to remember to stay in touch with these kinds of people. And I will do kind of a sweep of my address book now and again. I have an Evernote um, note that says when I'm in a certain city, like who to meet in which cities, right, mm-hmm. to remind myself. So it's things like that. I wish it were more structured, but I also recognize that I'm probably more proactive and systematizing other people. Yeah. I yeah. you're right. There's there's the people who are very fly by the seat of their pants. Yeah. <laughs> you know, arrive in Chicago and they didn't even think to think right. who do I know here? Right. Um so you you have that piece. Um well you're also talking about hosting dinners. Is that I, I, you're doing that in the blockchain sort of community, but was that yep. already a practice that you'd had? Uh, it was not a practice exactly. Um Again, Dory Clark does a great job hosting dinners in New York, and I've taken a lot of inspiration from her. One thing I did last year, I used to, again, like just to be honest about it, I had a real squeamishness about hosting people at my home. Why? I don't know. I just did. So I had a, like this is again last year, I had a dinner party at my home specifically to overcome my squeamishness, right? And that went well, although I was a wreck about it. And then I had to, I would decide I wanted to host a cocktail party for the tech community in New York. So I thought, well, I'm frightened to death to host a cocktail party. So I had to have what we called the dry run or the wet run, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. days prior. So I had a cocktail party of everybody who wasn't coming to the tech cocktail party, right? 10 days prior to the actual cocktail party. I love it. They both went really well. Again, I both of they stayed to like people stayed to one in the morning. And I'm, yeah. I'm kind of like, that's why you don't like hosting at your house. Cause like, get out of my house. What are you still doing here? It's one yeah. in the morning. But, um, I really pushed myself to make my home. I and mean, my home, I really spent a lot of time kind of making sort of beautiful and a haven and wonderful for me. So I want to use it more to host and I'm practicing that. And I'm practicing more, you know, even just having dinners or gathering people in, in the communities that I, that I spend time in. Yeah. And it sounds like you're being so intentional about yes. how you're doing that, who you're inviting, how you're approaching it. You know, the idea of being a host and all that that entails, you're almost, yes. that almost stopped you from doing it. And almost like, well, only because <laughs> the reason I have to be intentional about it is because left to my own devices, I wouldn't do it. And I aspire to be that person who can comfortably host. And so if you do not comfortably host and you aspire to be the person who can comfortably host, what do you do? 
uncomfortably host uh, for a long period of time until you get more comfortable hosting. What else? What other choice do you have? That's true about everything. It's true about everything. <laughs> that's how I wrote my book. Yes. Yes. I uncomfortably wrote for a very long time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then so yeah. I had a book. It's like, oh, yeah. 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 Well, so when you're traveling um, like to a conference, let's say, yeah. do you ever do anything sort of to gather people there? Have you ever thought about doing that? Um, yes. Again, at Renaissance Weekend, I will sometimes do that. Or if I'm in a city, like I may be in San Diego in June, so I'm sort of thinking about pulling together a gathering while I'm mm-hmm. there. Um, I would say that if I'm in a different city, I more think about meeting people one-on-one who I know. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think about gathering. I had a guest on here who had a practice that she would go to the fancy hotel yeah. restaurant yeah, in like downtown, whatever city she was in. And she would book ahead of time an eight o'clock, 10 o'clock, noon, two, four, six, and eight. Wow. Yep. And then she, what? She'd gather with people there? One at a time. <gasps> I see. Wow. She that's amazing. Would just be at this like luxury hotel restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, you know, the day there. it was like breakfast, coffee, lunch, coffee, coffee, dinner, drinks. <laughs> wow. That's intense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very charming. So she just is like, I want to have all this one in one time. And I it was just like, and, and she said much fancier than any place I could rent. Yes, that's a good point. And better service yeah. and just like everyone knew where it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it kind of sets you in a certain space. That's true. Yeah. She's that's a, a very good tip. She's a million dollar. Uh, her name is uh, Stephanie Chung and she's a um, teaches people how to do high ticket sales. She's a high ticket sales coach. And her background is that she was selling um, private airplanes. And she's a woman of color in an, a white male dominated space and she's not a pilot. <laughs> so yeah, wow. I was like, so clearly, you know, relationships. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. amazing. I'm going to write that name down. Stephanie Chung. Yeah. Please listen to the interview it was one of the earlier ones. Um, but one w- where I laughed a lot. She was just yeah. a, a good, fun person. Oh, that's great. Um, so you mentioned the idea earlier of like putting yourself out there to to make sure you're meeting lots of new people all the time by going like, um, could you actually say a little bit? I don't, I'm, everyone seems to know probably what Ted is, but yeah. um, could you mention for our listeners, like what summit is and what Renaissance weekend is? Sure. So Renaissance weekend is an ideas fest. It was founded 35 years ago by the former ambassador to England, Phil later and Linda later, his wife. And they wanted to have, again, this is a long time ago. And as newlyweds, really, they realized they wanted to have a context for multi-generational relationships and deeper than cocktail party conversations, right? So they sort of invited 60 families or something to Hilton Head and they had this thing called Renaissance Weekend. I think they thought it was going to be just one time, but it somehow propagated itself. And so now it's turned into a real thing. It's, it was made famous by the Clintons who famously go. Um, Chelsea Clinton actually met her husband there. Um, but I would just say that it's full of multi- People who are slashes, right there. I remember meeting a lawyer slash organic farmer, uh-huh. right? And so it's multidisciplined people. And what we do is that they they put us on panels. So if you have to be invited to attend. They put you on a panel based on your interests and your expertise. And then when you're not on a panel, you go attend panels. Yep. So I remember 
I attended a panel where Howard Dean was there and afterwards we chatted. I was on a panel where General Stanley McChrystal was in the room at my panel. And then I said something, he said, Alyssa, I want to follow up on that. I'm like, oh, Stan McChrystal asked me a question. It was so <laughs> So I mean, it's, but it's very cool because everyone's really in a, in a very sort of egalitarian way because everybody's there to mix together and they're mm-hmm. the, to their credit, the founders, Phil and Linda are very much like everyone here has a story. Go find out someone else's story. Yeah. It's kind of beautiful. So Summit is a little bit Ted meets Renaissance Weekend meets Burning Man right for the, uh, for the millennials. And um, they used to do Summit at Sea. I never went to Sea, thank God. But they have this sort of gathering of, I think, over 3,000 people. They've hold it, held it in LA. And it's sort of, you know, an interesting mix of uh, interesting people. So definitely a lot of tech people, a lot of um, advertising, marketing, extroverted people, a lot of millennials, but not just millennials, and everybody wants to connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so part of it is you're going to places where people are specifically going to make connections. I think I work a yes. lot with associations. Yes. I, what I've learned and partly why I think I have a job in the world is that people who go to association events, they logistically arrive and they know that there's something they're going to learn there. They've been told they should be there, but they really don't do the, the work beforehand about the people they want to meet yeah. or, or what they want to offer or the connections yeah. they're, they're craving. And so, but if you're going to something like Renaissance Weekend or Summit, you, well, that's, you know, you're going for that reason. So maybe you put a little more thought into it uh, and you get more out of it. Um, It also, it definitely happens organically. I'm not sure if I put a lot of thought into it. Actually, I think that there's a lot that happens organically. I think a lot, I put a lot of thought into mindset. mm -hmm. Certainly before TED, I put a lot of thought into mindset. Mm -hmm. And that was very useful. So how do you think about, diversifying your network like do you ever think about the diversity of your network because it's very diverse it seems yeah so well okay i I don't want to ask the most leading question ever but why is it important to you that you have a diverse professional network well i mean right it is such a softball question right i I would say first and foremost because it makes your life more interesting I would say also, I moved to New York to have a big life and an interesting life. And, you know, part of that is people. So here I am in New York and I want to meet artists and singers and I want to meet um, tech people. I want to meet finance people, all that stuff, because it makes, it makes life more interesting. Professors, academics. Now, of course, it goes without saying that what's interesting, all the research shows is the people, it's sort of the strength of loose ties, the people who you don't know so well, but it's like the people who you know a little less well and a little less well will help you find new opportunities. One thing to say is the people you know, know all the people you know, and if you just stick with the people you know, all you're doing is is connecting with people you already know (laughs) or they know. So you've got to extend yourself and expose yourself to new people and new ideas And that helps bring new opportunities and new ideas and new connections to you. By the way, that's also how you become a super connector because it's like you're bridging one world into another into another. And again, our friend Dory Clark is the biggest super connector there is. But plenty of people will say to me, oh, Alyssa, you know everyone, which is far from the truth, right? Far from the truth. But I get that it looks that way to other people sometimes because of being able to bridge the different different places. Yeah. I've often thought about that when I meet someone in a field, 
Yeah. And they can go to connect with me. I want them to see that we have people in common, no matter right. what it is. Right. I, that's a great aspiration. I totally get that. I'm like, whatever it is, I, I just want them to, the organic farmer slash, you know, whatever, yeah. like lawyer. I want us to have a person or two or five in, in common. Um, and th- so that's one way I think about sort of yeah. continuing to like broaden because I do, it's part of, it's like a curiosity and an interest, but also you get really great innovative ideas, right? Because people see your work from a different perspective totally. and you're like, I never thought of that. Yeah. Totally. And my ass, it's funny you say it because my aspiration has always been this. If someone says, oh, do you know a shoemaker? Or, oh, I need help with this legal document. Or, oh, I need something like this. That within one phone call, I can help that person. So I may mm-hmm. not know the shoemaker, but I know, oh, my friend Tony, he always knows people like that. Yeah. Or whatever. Like whatever it is that someone would like that needs or wants, yeah. if I'm in the mix, I, I my aspiration is one phone call and I can help. I love it. That see yeah. now listening, everyone, that's a goal to have. <laughs> you know, and, and you could start for your own little hometown, right? right? Like totally the person who knows everybody in town and what they that's do. Right. And, Kind of build into your region and and then take over the world slowly but yeah. surely like totally, totally, totally like Alyssa domination. is <laughs> yeah well and you know speaking of of interesting places to go world domination summits another one of those like random mix of people very techy but yeah. like people come to meet each other yeah so I don't know about this one there are so many opportunities it's it's really your calendar you wouldn't get any work done Alyssa, I know I know your calendar would be fun. And full of really interesting, interesting things. Maybe it's like the, the year of gatherings, right? No work, just the year of gatherings, just conferences. <laughs> you know, I bet you you would get so much out of that. Yeah, sure. That'd be a book in that, right? That would be a book. Yeah. Okay, that, thank you. That's what I'm <laughs> For my fifth book, five years, I'm going to spend a year just going to lots of events. And yeah, that's go. really cool. I love yeah. it. So yeah. this is my favorite. This is my wrap-up question. It's my favorite yeah. question because I um, I want to know if you and I are getting together a year from now and we yeah. are toasting all of your successes. Yeah. I want to know what we're going to be celebrating. Oh, wow. You really put me on the spot. Here's what we're going to be celebrating. We're going to be celebrating the progress of my book, whatever that means. It's not going to be a completed book necessarily, although it might be, but we're definitely going to be talking about that book I'm in the middle of or whatever. That's thank so you for cool. asking and thank you for letting me declare that on Do live it. Zoom video here. Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone heard you say it. Oh, yeah. that is so exciting. Do you have a topic for said book? I'm definitely think, well, definitely. Okay. What I'm working on right now is this idea about how to build startups, specifically mm. from the leadership and capability point of view, not how to get venture capital that's already been well covered. But this notion of how do you have to shift and morph as a leader and adjust as a leader in order to um, build your startup. That's great. Because a lot of people who have the um, personality to get things started don't have the leadership to keep them going. So Right. Oh, that's well said. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you listen to the recording. You'll make a note of that. <laughs> and then <laughs> well, I'll be in your book. <laughs> that's right. Samuel said. That's right. Yeah. That's great. So yeah. Alyssa, where can people find you and follow your work? Um, thank you. They should follow me on Twitter at Alyssa Cohn. I'd like to spell that. A-L-I-S-A-C-O-H-N. So at Alyssa Cohn. And then of course my website, AlyssaCohn.com. That's great. Come and say hi. I, we will. Um, I'm going to have those links in the show notes. Um, and when you do have the book, we'll put a little addendum so that, you know, it's like, and she was here before the book came out, but now That's you can right. get it. It's Perfect. going to be very exciting. That's very nice. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. 
It was such a pleasure to be here. It was so fun to connect with you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Alyssa. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 101. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Alyssa, please share with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional with their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.